Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, I'm fortunate to welcome two coaches who have won college national titles. Julianne Sitch holds multiple school records and accolades at DePaul University and was recently inducted into the school's Athletic Hall of Fame. Congratulations, Julianne. She went on to play professionally in the U.S., Australia, and Sweden. As a coach, she was the women's assistant coach at the University of Chicago and in the professional ranks as an assistant with the Chicago Red Stars in the NWSL. She returned to the University of Chicago and led the men's soccer team to an undefeated record culminating in a national championship. She is now the head coach of the women's soccer team at the University of Denver. Returning to the podcast is Jamie Gunderson, who is the head coach of women's soccer at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. Jamie has yet to lose as head coach. We discuss Julianne's playing career as a youth player, into college, and as a professional. She shares lessons she learned as an athlete and is passing on to her student-athletes. We also delve into the steps of the recruiting process and get their views on what's important. Thank you to Julianne and Jamie for a great episode and for sharing so much of their perspective. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com. So yeah, I mean, you guys are in the thick of your recruiting right now, you know, just after you finished your seasons. Um, we were just talking before we hit record that, you know, it's anxious, it's anxiety inducing and, and stressful for kids. It's same for their parents, but also for you guys. And um, maybe you guys can talk a little bit about, you know, Julianne, maybe you can talk about why it's so stressful for you. Um, maybe not necessarily for obvious reasons as well. Yes. Um, I would say, I think the process in general can be really overwhelming at times too for all parties, right? Um, for coaches that are finding a pool of players that fit their needs, one, like on the field and finding the right fit for kids, you know, that fit within their culture and that want to be a part of their culture. But then the same thing for the families and the kid as well, right? Like trying to find a place that, you know, they feel like they're going to have an impact on the field and what kind of impact they have off the field. And how does academics play in the role of that? You know, big schools, small schools, football schools, non-football schools, far away from home, close to home, right? You're trying to navigate all of those pieces. But, you know, of course, the financial piece comes into play and stuff as well. And so it can be overwhelming with a lot of different over information. Um, how do you narrow down those schools? How, you know, like what are kind of your top reasons to narrow down schools, but it's the same thing, you know, that coaches go through and stuff as well. And it can be overwhelming or stressful or a time crunch for, you know, programs at all different points in times. I think every program hits some sort of point where it's a time crunch and you've got to put deadlines on kids. I hate doing that, right? I want to find a kid that really wants to be a part of being here and I want them to, you know, make that decision when it's comfortable and right for them. However, how do you navigate that with also trying to like fill a roster and, you know, not pass up on, you know, kids or you finding 
being able to fulfill and fill your roster, you know, and not put kids on timelines and stuff. So there's a lot of different things that, you know, I'm learning and going through right now, jumping from D3 to D1 with, you know, the scholarship scholarship landscape of that and stuff. But I do think that it's overwhelming in general across the board and can be. Um, and how do you take that overwhelming piece out of it to help them make, you know, decisions? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, she hit it right right on the head is again it's i kind of try to make it the least stressful process as i can i give a lot of control within the recruit um but sometimes that gets like kind of bites us in the butt a little bit because i don't put deadlines on an offer kind of thing because I, again i want somebody to make the decision that's best suited for themselves um so sometimes it does you know we we take the brunt of that um but you know, at the end of the day, I want somebody that wants to be here at CNU. Um, so again, if it takes them, you know, you know, however long it takes them, you know, we will be patient with them. But at at a point, we always get to a point where, again, if it's somebody that we've offered, you know, maybe a month or two months and they haven't made a decision, then that kind of puts us in a situation where we have to be like, okay, well, if we don't get you, we may miss out on the next kid behind you. And so I have those conversations with the recruits and try to be as transparent as I can. Um, and that's kind of how we, that's how I operate in general with my team, especially too. Um, it's just be upfront as much as we can in the process. And I get that it is a, it can be stressful. And again, I try to educate the recruit um, and help them, you know, no matter what it is and try to be there and help them along the way, even if they don't choose CNU, that they're choosing the best fit for themselves. Um, because, you know, that's just kind of how I operate. Yeah. So Julianne, you're kind of in a, in a, I don't know, a, a difficult situation, you know, having come from a D3 to a D1 school and obviously recruiting starts pretty early on the women's side. And so, you know, maybe talk about some of the challenges that you're facing in trying to get kids to where you, you know, at university, at, is it University of Denver or Denver University? I can't ever keep that straight in my head. University. Um, okay, University of Denver. Um, I apologize. That's uh, my, uh, you know, lack of intelligence, basically. So, it's um, Denver, but then people call it DU. So it's a little confusing. Right. Oh, that's that. See, I knew it wasn't just me. Yeah. My dad went to Miami of Ohio, so that was like, you know, Miami University, University of Miami, so I never keep it straight. But anyway, so like, you know, the stuff that you face, um, D3, D1, and then, you know, the early start for the women, um, you know, talk about some of those challenges that you're facing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, like the early the early landscape, especially just coming from the men's side where men's process was so much slower and longer and, you know, in that. And so jumping back to the women, but then also D1 where it's like, it's even earlier and, you know, just um, getting on top of those kids as early as you possibly can and trying to create those relationships, you know, um, Jamie kind of talks about it and there is like, you want the kid that wants to be a part of your program and we'll do everything to help with that process. But also same thing, like, I just want what's best for the kid. And if it's not university of Denver, how can I help them find the right place and the right fit? You know? And I think that ultimately at the end of the day, that's what I care most about. Of course I want a kid, but at the end of the day, I also really want them to find the 
the fit that they are going to feel like they can be successful at and that they can continue to grow and develop as a person and as a player, both on and off the field. So um, I think just, you know, just navigating that exactly, you know, like Jamie said, you put different timelines on things so you don't potentially lose out on other kids or lose out from other schools and just trying to balance that and where's the right where's the right timeline of that, right? And I don't know if anyone has the magic answer to that. I'm sure every program goes through that because you just, you don't know, right? And so if you gamble on one kid and you miss out another, but then like you just have no idea where it's going to go. So it's really how transparent can you be throughout the process to give the player as much information as they need and to make their decision. And I always ask from the kids as well, like if anything changes, please let us know. Like we want to know, right? If if DU falls out of your top three, I need to know, right? And so I think there's a lot of being open and honest and transparent in that whole entire process. So it helps both parties, um, you know, move along in their process. Yeah. Jamie, you got anything? I don't no, want to move I, on. Yeah, I, I think, I think we're, we, we think pretty similarly. Yeah. And again, uh, the more open and honest – and some advice I would give to like recruits is when you further along in the process is ha- asking those tough questions because you've had those relationships now. Like, do you see me playing right away? Uh, you know, what does that look like? What does playing look like in the time? Do you see me competing right away? Does, is it going to take time for me to get on the field? Things like that. Um, and that comes down the line with just, you know, seeing him play, the transparency and just being open and honest with each other. Um, and I asked the same thing with my recruits, if something changes, cause we at CNU, we're very fortunate with, again, the pool of kids we can be selective with. And a lot of them kind of, you know, can be on that tail end of a mid major, um, school. And so their timeline, I'm working with that timeline with our timeline. It just, it does get a little tricky a little bit. Um, but it, things change. Like if they're getting you know, money from a D1 or whatever it may be, just to let me know what that looks like and where we stand even with that. Um, So that way I can navigate what the rest of my lists may look like from there. Right. Um, Julian, let's back up a little bit and get a little bit of your background. Um, I like to ask that of, you know, kind of everyone's soccer story who comes on here. Um, I mean, Jamie's told us like four or five times, so um, I, don't I don't have know. much history. I don't have much history. So, <laughs> um, but Julianne uh, is a national title winner as a coach, but she's also a Hall of Famer as a player, um, which I saw um, on Instagram. So, um, congratulations on that. I think that's pretty recent, right? Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Tell us your kind of your soccer story and um, yeah. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> you want to go? Since I've been five, so it's been a long yeah. time. But um, yeah, started playing age five. Was the only girl on an all boys team for you know a couple years. So playing with the guys for park district and stuff for a while until really there was a like a I should say girls team. Um, you know, so around like seven, eight years old, started playing um with girls. And then just kind of playing club, playing high school, played collegiately at DePaul University, was really fortunate enough to um, head overseas and start playing professionally in Sweden. I left my senior year spring to head overseas. That's because the WUSA had folded. And then um, so went overseas, played in Sweden, came back, played in the WPS with Sky Blue, won a national championship with Sky Blue. 
played in Australia in the offseason, got traded to Chicago, played in Chicago at WPS, um, played a little bit with Western New York and Atlanta Beat, and then unfortunately the WPS folded. Um, so went back over and played in Sweden and then finished out playing with the Chicago Red Stars and NWSL and then got into my coaching career. Cool. Um, what was your recruiting story like? Um, when they, when did you start getting recruited and, and, you know, what were you thinking, you know, was the ball your first choice and, you know, kind of go into that. Yeah. So actually I recruited, I committed quote unquote early, which was my senior year fall. Um, so I was like the first one on my club team to commit my senior year fall. So very different to how it is today. Um, but I didn't want to go to DePaul at first. I, I mean, UNC was like my top school. Um, every time I see Anson Dorrance, he always tells me that I missed out on winning national championships by not going to UNC. Um, so I got to love him for that. Um, but yeah, it was like a dream school to go to UNC, um, you know, U of I, visit Ohio State. Like, and I just fell in love with DePaul, fell in love with the community. Um, and it was like a interesting recruiting process. Like when I chose to go to DePaul, everyone knocked me down. No one told me that everyone told me that I would never reach any of my goals. I would never reach my dreams. I wouldn't play professionally. I wouldn't make the national team. I would amount to nothing. So, um, you know, for me, I cared about my parents being able to watch me play. That was huge for me. Um, my parents dedicated a lot of time um, to my to my youth career like playing and following me around and you know my parents are my biggest supporters my dad is you know was my number one fan he never missed anything and you know rain shine didn't matter what the weather was my dad was there and so I think for me it was huge to um want to stay closer to home and like I said I just fell in love with DePaul and the community and what they were trying to build and I wanted to be a part of a uh, growing program. And so, you know, like I said, of course, not many people supported me by going there. And that for me was, I cared, like I had a will to want to play pro. I had a will to get to where I wanted to go. And I was willing to put my head down and work to get to wherever I wanted to go. And, you know, so those things that people said were motivation, you know, um, and that, and I was, I was happy. And at the end of the day, it ended up being the best choice for me. My mom got sick and was diagnosed with cancer. My freshman year in college got diagnosed with cancer again, my junior year of college, and she ended up passing away. And for me, I was able to be at home a lot with my family and was able to be with my mom during those last years. So for me, it was, it worked out for the best. And, you know, I was able to accomplish and go after my dreams. And so I think for me, like I, I tell people that all the time where it's like, yes, an environment, a program or where you're at and the competition and what you're playing against and people around to push and support you, but also like where there's a will, there's a way and you want something like you can go after it. And so I think too, um, there's a combination of both of those things happening, you know, to go after things. So that was kind of my recruiting um, journey and, you know, what got me and brought me out to DePaul. To, to DePaul. So like, as you look back, and all those people were telling you, you know, you're making a mistake, basically, is kind of how I'm interpreting it, that you're, you know, you're going to the wrong spot, you're never going to fulfill your potential. I mean, what did that do? Did it make you doubt yourself? Or did it just kind of, you know, steal your will that, you know, you're, you're going to prove everyone wrong? Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I don't ever remember doubting myself. I think it was just more of like, mm -hmm. I just 
knew inside and had that belief of what I wanted to go after. And I was willing to do anything and everything to make that happen. You know, um, it was going to be long hours on the field or extra training wherever I went, you know, like I was willing to put in that work and wanting to put in that work to go do that. And, you know, I think um, that's just, yeah, kind of how I approached it of, of going after that stuff. You know, um, I was surrounded by unbelievable people at DePaul, um, you know, that supported and believed in that dream right there with me. Right. And I think sometimes that's also part of it, right? Like I had coaches or teammates and people surrounding me that also believed that I could go after that. And they helped me, you know, get there. They helped me build that resilient and stuff to, to train and to, to be in those positions to better myself. So I think that's the other part of it as well as like being surrounded by other people that believe in that dream to, for you to go after as well. Right. And I'm sure no one at DePaul was telling you, you made a mistake. So, you know, once you were kind of, once you were kind of, in there, you, were, you were good to go probably. And, uh, and, and your family was supportive of it, I'm sure. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, tell Anson to bug her off, I guess. You know? No, I love Anson. He remembers me, like, I'm just, you know, so many years ago. So I love every time I see him you know, just a high five and say hello. And, you know, he, we just have that, that fun banter with it. I mean, like I said, I, Anson's unbelievable. Would I have been happy playing at UNC? Absolutely. I would have loved it, you know? Um, yeah. So I can't, you know, say that. some of my best yeah. friends came out of you playing at UNC. So yeah, I think that, you know, would have been pretty awesome as well to play for him, be legendary in that way. I was uh, just in their stadium like six weeks ago, I guess, and uh, just all of the the women's titles. It's it's incredible. Yeah, um, quite quite an accomplishment that that dude's done there down there. So, um, so yeah. So, <clears throat> talk about kind of maybe how that mentality helped you go into the pros and you know stay in the pros for a while. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely think um, it helped a lot, and I think to my generation of players, um, excuse me, the, my generation of players, like we had to fight through, I mean, we didn't play in Wusa, but we were around and we were hoping to play in Wusa when we were in college. So to kind of go through seeing those three leagues and, you know, obviously live through two of them with playing in the WPS and the NWSL, I think just that grit and resilience, like I trained on end for two years wondering if the WPS was ever going to come around. Like I played professionally in Sweden. I came back. I played on any team to stay quote unquote pro getting paid $200, $300 a game or what can I do and odd end jobs. And again, fortunate for a family that, you know, supported me until I was 25, 26 until, you know, started making money playing pro. And by making money, I used that loosely for the first couple of years. So like, you know, I just, I think that, um, that resilient of just, I was willing to do anything and everything. Like I said, I, I went anywhere. I slept on any couch. I did whatever I need to do to just live out that dream of playing professionally here in the States. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of my, my peers, like we laugh about those days where we were the ones that were washing the uniforms. We were the ones that were cleaning the locker rooms. Like we were the ones out there just fighting, training, hoping that the league would come back without, knowing if it really was going to for some of those, you know, those times. So I think it just kind of built a different resiliency. And again, I think just that pure love for the game and really wanting to, you know, see hopefully my dream come true of playing pro here. Right. So what was the uh, culture like for women's soccer? You know, was it kind of uh, embraced or 
you know, what was that experience like in playing in a foreign country where, you know, I'm assuming it was kind of secondary to the men's soccer game and and that sort of thing. So what was, what was that like? And, you know, did it create an even bigger chip on your shoulder? You know, that kind of thing. Well, it's interesting because I was actually just telling um, someone else about this the other day. Um, We were kind of just laughing about playing overseas and like the culture that soccer is in the other countries. Like, I remember specifically being in Sweden and walking by a store and there was a poster of our team hanging in the window, like down this main street. And it's like, yeah, because soccer is their, their sport and like they will support men, women, whatever. And I just, cause that was different than here in the state, you know, like you're not walking down the street and seeing posters of, you know, pro, well, the pro teams and different things like that. So I think that was just really cool to be a part of, um, you know, playing soccer in another country where it's like, it's what they do, you know, and it's what they live by and what they support. So I thought that was really cool in the terms of like how they did support women's soccer already. You know, I felt that over there, you know, even before here. And I mean, every where, where women's soccer is now today is phenomenal. It's, you know, it's amazing that it's continuing to grow and stuff. So really excited about that, you know, that change and that movement. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favorite stories from, from playing in, you know, as a professional and, um, you know, maybe what you kind of learned from playing as a professional and that you're applying to you know, not, not a uh, soccer wise, but just kind of like life lesson wise that you apply now to, to your coaching. Yeah. I mean, favorite memories, I mean, there's so many of them that I can talk about, but honestly, I think the thing that I miss the most and my most fond memories are just being with teammates, like being in the locker room, being on buses. I mean, we didn't have cell phones, so we talked, we played games, we watched movies, we laughed about the same dumb movie that was being played on the VHS monitors of the bus. You know, like it was, it was different, obviously, um, but just those memories and the banter in the locker room and the the pranks and the jokes and all the dumb stuff that we did. Like, it's just, I miss that camaraderie and like being part of a team in that way. Um, of course you remember great wins or you remember some losses, like you remember that, but like, I, I could ramble off more memories that happened in a locker room or team bonding or different functions than, you know, potential wins or losses and stuff like that. So I think just like the overall memories that you have and make with your teammates is pretty, is pretty cool. And I think just overall, like the lessons, like, I, I just, I, I use this now, like that champion mindset, like just how to be a champion of life, you know, like there are days where like you're hurting or you, you know, you're tired, like, you know, you're tired or whatever it is. And just what you push through and how you support each other and how you look out for one another. And you're like a teammate for life and, you know, how you approach things. And at times like things don't go your way and how do you react to that? And how do you, you know, move forward with that? And like how to control the things that you can control and what does a positive attitude mean and a work ethic and you know the accountability your dedication like all of those things the sacrifices right like when you make a lot of sacrifices as a player where you miss out on a lot of things and you make a lot of sacrifices as a coach as well to be in this industry and so it's like you know um 
I think just like that, those life things or those life lessons that happen again, wins and losses, they can teach you a lot and you know how to win and be humble and how to lose and be hungry and want to go after it more, right? Like there's a lot of lessons that you can learn and so many positives, negatives, and like how to have a growth mindset, um, how to work through adversity, um, how to communicate with others. Like I could go on about like all these life lessons that you learn being an athlete, but all that same stuff relates to being a coach or being in these environments. And, you know, I, I say to myself now, like I probably, well, I know I hated it. I shouldn't say probably hated it. Like I didn't like it at the time that like I was left off of rosters or didn't get to play in games or that had to go through some serious injuries and stuff like that. Like I, they were hard in the moment. They were hard, but now I'm so thankful I went through them. I'm so thankful I went through them because I learned so much through all of those moments. And I, you know, like I, I know what it feels like to be left off teams or not play a lot of minutes or play a lot of minutes or be sidelined for seven, eight months coming back from an injury. And it's like, yeah, there were difficult times in that moment, but to have them now and to look back and like see the growth that I had as a player and, and now as a coach, stuff, like I'm thankful for them, you know? So I, I think there's just a lot of lessons and it's about what you want to see, how you want to see it and how you want to move forward from it. I think that's probably the bigger part of it, right? You can let it affect you and hold you back or you can persevere and move forward and be better for it. You know, like I think that's just how you want to approach it and your, your, you know, your attitude as you move forward with it. Yeah. Um, when you said teammates for life, um, <clears throat> I wasn't going to bring it back to recruiting a little bit here. Um, and, and just, you know, some of the stuff you guys were saying before and, and just really being sure that you find the right place and that it's a, it's a good fit culturally, um, so that you end up with those teammates for life. You know, you don't want to be with people that don't fit into who you are, I guess, um, for lack of a better way of saying, I don't know. Um, it's just a feeling you get, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I chose Methodist when I went on my visit was was the team um, and the guys that played there and I'm still like best friends with them so like my buddy's staying the night at the house tonight because he's working down here so it's just like you know I just have those connections for life now and it, it, again it's it's not the wins and losses it's just the, the relationships that you you've um, created and formed through those four years that you're there together so yeah no it's there's a lot to that yeah. Um, yeah. And another thing that I was thinking while you were talking, Julianne, was, um, you know, those lessons you were, you came in and you won a national championship with a men's team um, at University of Chicago. So, you know, I, I'm sure you've done a, about 103 interviews, if not more about that, you know, experience. Um, and, you know, people can go find that, but, you know, I don't know if this is a unique question or not, but like all those things you were just talking about, it doesn't matter like what gender or who you are, like all those lessons still apply, you know, no matter what. And, you know, how did you kind of ingrain that into your team um, last year? I mean, it was last year. Um, you know, how did you, how did you get them to buy in in a short time and, and uh, go on to have the success that they did? Yeah. I mean, 
I don't really know, but <laughs> I, I mean, like, I know Jamie and I have talked about conversations with this too. So I think it would be great to get his perspective of this as well. And to talk like it's, um, you know, I think too, it's, uh, and I say this because I feel like I know this from the conversations I've had with Jamie is just like, one thing that I felt like for myself, like going in is like, I was coaching athletes. Like I wanted to coach athletes, regardless, male, female, doesn't matter. I don't, it, it doesn't even matter the level. Like you're coaching athletes to be at the best that they can be both on and off the field. Right. And like, how do you inspire them, motivate them, push them, um, nurture them? I don't know. Like some days you need to nurture them or have empathy, like sympathy for them. Like there's just so many different things that go into that. And I think like, one of the biggest things too, is like being authentic to yourself. I think that was one of the things for me, like going into that environment, it was like, I'm just going to be authentic and, and do what I can and be who I am and, and bring this champion mindset in here. And like, this is something I've lived by as a player and have that. And so I think too, like doing that. And I think, you know, Jamie talks a lot about relationships as well. And I know that like relationships and culture and building that and finding the right fit is really important for both of us in our programs. And so when you are authentic to yourself and having that, you allow a space for others to be authentic about themselves as well and create a space that, you know, you're inclusive to everyone. And I know that that's, sorry if I'm speaking for you, Jamie, but I'm pretty sure that that's important yeah. in the conversation yeah. we've had. So we have, yeah. that on as well, because I, I think it is, you know, like living within your values and living within like your truth or your authentic self, you know, to create that environment for others to be a part of and stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. No, I, again, yeah, I agree. And I think that carries into the team. They see that. And then they're like, this is who this person is. It's not a front. It's not, again, I make mistakes. And again, I own up to them and I, you know, apologize. I take, responsibility for my actions and again that that shows again the vulnerability Mm -hmm. and then then now there's there's trust that's formed and so i think again these values that julianne was talking about again i think we're pretty similar i'm a person that again i find ways to figure out whatever this to the solution if there's a problem okay well well where can i get how can i get to the solution without this other area when controlling what you can control and again you know being real and you know showing your true colors to your team and i think that it doesn't matter gender either because i coach a usl2 team too over the summer and so the same thing making those relationships with those players it, it just builds a deeper connection and you can be harder on them too in those moments you can tell them when they're not playing well and it won't be like, well, he's just out to get me, you know, he'd be like, okay, well, that's reality check or slash tell them when they're playing well. And again, there's, there's credit to that and don't just, you know, tell them over and over again, because then that loses value. So when somebody's doing well, you know, I let them know if they're doing poorly, it's like, okay, well, let's, how do we fix this and get you back on track? Um, and, and again, I think a lot of that comes through again, the relationship aspect of this, um, because, I mean, I think our game is just completely different than a lot of other sports. You have 10 other teammates out there with you. There's a lot of trust that you have to have in each other. And so how do you get, how do you get the best out of each one? And sometimes it's different with, you know, coaching them and again, different ways, but that again comes through 
knowing who that person is and what what motivates them, what triggers them, what what again gets the best out of them, and that comes with knowing them as a person. So I, I'll have meetings with my players. I don't even start talking soccer. I I literally ask them how the day is going, um, how's their family, you know, whatever it may be. If they have animals, pets, things like that, it's like how's your dog or whatever. Have you seen your dog recently? Just to know more about them as a person and then kind of go into navigating what the conversation may be for soccer. Um, again, I just, that's who I am and and it's, it's done really well. So again, I'm not going to change that. And again, I think that just builds those relationships. Yeah. Um, how do you encourage uh, your players to get to know their teammates and so that they can trust each other. And, and, you know, Jamie, you and I, we've talked about this, you know, with your sister and a couple of people about like the, the importance of being vulnerable and, and all that is, is, you know, probably the cornerstone of building a good team. Yeah. I, again, we've talked about this previously on other podcasts, but um, I think that's the quickest way to make connections is again, also, you know, showing your true colors. And it's hard. Um, we spend a lot of time during the preseason, you know, going, we have team meetings and things like that. And we put them through situations. We kind of start them in smaller groups. So people that are a little bit more quiet or reserved to kind of open up, maybe they open up in those little conversations. And then we bring everybody together and kind of open it up to the team. Um, I share, my, my other coaches on the staff share too. Um, that way, again, it just creates this kind of safe space or this environment where um, people can really tell their story. Um, and then, again, we revisit it throughout the season. But, you know, they, they you know, handle those situations really well. And they're so connected. And it's really cool to see. And, again, as Julianne said, the, the relationships that you formed through those four years – Again, I have alumni that come back and just they're all together still. And it's just really cool to see that from kind of the coaches aspect of it, too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a lot of uh, it's it's hard work. I mean, it's not something that's easy and that just comes, you know, you really have to put time into it. You have to make time for it to happen, um, you know, and it can come in all different ways and doing different team culture, team bonding, different things. Sometimes it happens out on the field in a really hard session where they're struggling and they have to overcome something, right? Or, or a game or, you know, like there's a lot of different um, things that can contribute to helping within that. But I definitely, like I agree with James too, just like being vulnerable and being able to share your story or like when he was talking about like you messed up, like yeah, putting your hand up first and being like, I messed up. Like, you know, like it, it's just – um I think, again, creating that space, too, of showing them, like, mistakes are going to happen. You're going to mess up. How do we move on from that, right? And I think that there's just so many different ways that you can start to create those relationships and build on those relationships. But, again, it takes takes time. It takes effort. You know, you need to make sure you're dedicating that time and stuff into it. It doesn't happen overnight, either. No, it does not. And that's the big challenge, right? Is, you know, you guys get a team that reports at the beginning of August or whatever it is. And, you know, you're playing games two weeks later, 10 days later, you know, um, 
you know, how do you kind of microwave that in a, in a way that is, is, um, productive and authentic. I I really think part of it comes with the recruiting process, Mm -hmm. getting, getting people that connect on the same level as again, the coaching staff. And then, you know, they come and visit and things like that. I ask my players when we have recruits on campus, what they think of the recruit, because, you know, I want their input. Are they, they, are they going to be a good fit? Are they like hesitant? Then I'll do more digging kind of thing to see what's, what's going on. Um, But I think that's where it starts. Um, And then again, as again, being with the program for a couple of years, again, it becomes more natural because the, the way we kind of talk about, you know, team culture is the upperclassmen are the leaders, no matter if you're a captain or not, they form the way and the freshmen and sophomores, they're going to follow. So by them showing and being more open right from the get-go, they're like, the the underclassmen are going to be like, okay, this is how this kind of works. And again, that lets them be a little bit, again, more open to start quicker. We, we, I mean, for division three, we are like, we have four days. <laughs> so like our preseason is nothing. Like it, it just happens so fast. So again, for us, it, it is a task. And again, we continue to keep working on it throughout the season. There's hiccups here and there. Um, but again, a lot of our foundations built on, we say family a lot, but again, that's the love, support and respect that we, we talk about and how, how that works. Um, you're not, you're never going to agree with everyone on the team, but that foundation of support and respect and love are the kind of the three things we talk about with that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It, It takes a lot of time, effort. Again, the more years you're kind of in it with a, with one program, the easier, or I wouldn't say easier, but it's more maybe smoother. It kind of varies per year, but uh, but yeah, you just have the kids that have been, you know, in it already that can help kind of navigate with the younger ones. Um, Julian, you talked about your personal experience, like uh, when your mom was sick when you were in college um you know talk about you know how your relationships with your teammates kind of helped you through that um and you know i guess i guess it would be your objective to create the same environment in your teams now um so that if someone had something like that happen that they would feel you know that they were with their family you know with their teammates slash family you know yeah. Um, so talk about that experience. Yeah. I mean, I, I really just remember I was just kind of talking about this being back at DePaul with the Hall of Fame stuff as I cried through my whole um, <laughs> speech of everything because it was like a, I mean, just in general, like the athletic department that had really like stepped up for my family and was there and just the amount of love and support that they showed us during that time. And after, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, it just happened. And then it was over, you know, just like really that support um, that happened throughout, you know, for that time that I was there overall, the athletic department, but our, yes, I mean, the team, we had great team chemistry and t- team culture. Right. I mean, 
Um, I also contribute to, you know, we won conference my sophomore year and it was the first time ever in school history. And I mean, like we were a very good team, but also like the cohesiveness that we had, like we were willing to run through a brick wall for anyone. And I think again, like it's just those bonding moments and what you experience that like you do, you become you become family and you feel for each other and you want to be there for each other and you support each other through that. So I think I was really fortunate that I had a, not just my team, but I had a full athletic department that really supported me during those times. And that, you know, showed love to my, myself and my family for that during those difficult times. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess in a bad situation, it's nice to have that kind of support system with you. so, all right, so let's turn it back to recruiting. And um, you guys are in the throes of it. And um, so how does someone who's going to be at an event that you're going to be at um, walk me through what they should be doing? Um, and, you know, if someone wants to come play at University of Denver, how do they differentiate themselves and make themselves stand out for you, Julianne? And then, Jamie, you can go after that. Um, well, definitely reaching out to the staff prior to the tournament, um, you know, in an email. I understand that kids might be sending mass emails, but I really think making emails personable matters, especially if it's a top school that you want to go to, right? So if uh, if Christopher Newport is in my top five or top 10, I'm researching the school prior. I'm, you know, making sure that I have all the coaches' names and, you know, just doing your due diligence in that way why do you want to go to that school? Right? Like, I think too, it's important when I read an email and I'm like, Oh, cool. They really want to come because they love our business school. Or we have this program that sets ourselves apart from other schools. So I do think if it's one of your top 10 schools, really making it personable with what you say to the coach, add in some reasons why you want to attend that school, um, your position, your schedule, your Jersey number, um, you know, and I'd put that stuff all in the subject line. Julianne Sitch, number 38, blah, blah, blah. I played this visit, right? Like make it as easy for us to put that information into our schedule so we can watch you play. Um, so putting that information in there, making it personal. And I would just say not even before a tournament or what you're doing, but every time you reach out to a coach, especially when you reach out in the fall season, check at their schedule. What have they done? How's their record going? Who do they have coming up next? Like it just, it shows us that you're interested. It shows us that, you know, DU is a place that you really want to be at. So like the more you can make it personal, that helps, right? I now remember those things. Or if you're a player that, you know, wears a neon pink headband, like label that, like, you know, say that. So it's easy for us to identify you. And then I would say like, in terms of watching players, um, you know, like I just like overall like work ethic and competitiveness in a game um how you talk to your teammates how you treat your teammates it's just like the overall like do you want to be there and are you competing and do you like i want competitors i want people that want to win and what are they willing to do to win so separating yourself apart from others and show like play to your strengths show us why you're a good player um, and I do like, I watch those little things, you know, when your teammate scores a goal, do you go celebrate with them or do you immediately walk back to half? I'm watching them looking at those things, right? Like I want people that want to celebrate other people's success and their teammates success. So, you know, like those little details and stuff, um, you know, go a long way, at least for us. Yeah. 
completely agree. Um, we, I had a, we, we just had an event down in Tennessee. Um, one of the players reached out to me and she watched, I think our game against, uh, in the sweet 16 game or elite eight or something like that. And she writes in her kind of line. She's like, I watched your match. Um, I'm the same size as your left back, which our left back, she's like five, two, but just a warrior. And I said, okay. So then I went and watched her. Sure enough, similar size. And again, just kind of had that athleticism too. So it was, it was good. So that just, again, just sparks the conversation and shows that you've, first of all, care, you've done your homework and, you know, you really see yourself at CNU. Um, So again, being personable in those, in those emails as well. And again, researching like how the season's going. Congratulations, you won the conference tournament or whatever, or great win last night against so-and-so. Um, those things really carry weight um, rather than just a blanket saying, hey, come watch me play. Here's my schedule kind of thing. You know, so, um, and that, again, comes with in the process, too, of us, di- like, looking through it and um, going through it from there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've heard a lot of is like kids saying, you know, my coach didn't play me at the position that I feel like I'm best at in a, in a showcase or something like that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a left back, but I was playing striker or something silly like that. Um, you know, how do you guys address that? You know, how do you guys feel about that? Um, how would you advise kids to handle those situations? You want me to go first? Sure, go for it. Because <laughs> I, I kind of just had this happen. Okay. It's a it's kind of a another story from the weekend because there's local kids who I, you know, coached growing up when they were little itty bitties, and they were playing this weekend, and uh, one of the players was playing a different position. I I'm all for them playing different positions. I, I personally can tell again, like kind of the intangibles of like a player. Like, are they working hard? Are they trying to compete? Doing whatever they can in that role, that whatever position they're in. Again, they may not be that comfortable in it, but are they working as hard as they can? Again, are they giving their team the best chance to win? Are they encouraging others to kind of come along with them? Um, I think in the long run, it will help them kind of give it just a growth, this growth mindset that you're not just stuck in this one position. Um because a lot of the times you get to the college level, the coach may move you to a different position anyways, um, based off of the strengths you have slash what formation they may play. Um, and that's a question recruits should ask kind of down the line as well, um, just to make sure they're, they're comfortable with that. Because um, we, we here at CNU, we've moved a couple of players here and there, but usually after their first year, just again, to give them a chance in those positions. But Maybe they can be more successful somewhere else, which they kind of they did. Um, but yeah, I think I think those are excuses. To be fair, um, that again, you, I didn't get to play in this position. I think coaches can tell if you have these can, intangibles, um, and then you know go from there, kind of thing. Good job, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. nothing to add julian no i mean i think that's i mean it's true if i'm going to watch a player and they get moved to a different spot 
but they're choosing to like potentially not work hard or make the most of it. I mean, that, that tells me a lot, <laughs> you know? So I think it's, um, yeah, like ver being versatile is not a negative thing. Being versatile can be a very positive thing. And I agree, like you might get to school and you might change the formation or you might move people around and do that, you know? Um, so I think it's, it's, it's being open and about still like, like Jamie said, like the tangibles of, I can see that player like, oh yeah, great. They have some great, you know, athletic attributes. They're technical. They can do this. I can see why they play in both positions or why, you know, you, you can kind of help within that. Um, so I do think that going in and giving it your all and doing everything you can in that position, even if it's not like where you may feel your best, it's okay. Still being able to go in and do everything that you can is important for coaches to see. Yeah. I mean, it's still an opportunity, right? I mean, it's uh, to showcase who you are, not just how you are as a player, right? Yeah. Um, it's all about your mindset, I guess. Um, champion's mindset, right? So, um, uh, all right. So the event happens and, you know, should they expect to walk off the field and talk to a coach Um you know, what, what should be their expectations at the event? Uh, Julian, Jamie went first last time. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think just having open expectations about things like I, I mean, you can obviously every, or every division has different rules of when you can talk to players or not talk to players and stuff a little bit of that, or depending where they fall or if they're committed or different things. Right. So I think understanding and respecting the fact that coaches, you know, follow rules and, you know, and have that as well. But I do think like, you know, just the expectation that, yeah, you might get some people reaching out that day after you're done with your competition you might get some player people reaching out after the weekend you might get some coaches reaching out like that whole entire week so I think just like being open-minded about when you know potentially those conversations come they can come at any time you know um and so I think just being open-ended about that yeah and I, I think that comes with the timeline too maybe you've been you've seen a recruit you know, whatever, three or four times, you've had X amount of phone calls. So maybe that's the appropriate time to have an in-person conversation. Maybe they've been to a visit or whatever. So again, but if it's like brand new recruit, you probably won't get, you know, communicated till, you know, after the event or something like that kind of thing. So I think it's different per where you're at in the process. If you're early in the process, the expectation is probably just after the event. If it's a little further along in the process, potentially during the event um, correspondence or a committed player. Again, it's always great to see those players and get to communicate with them kind of during the event too. Right. Um, and so what should their game plan be? Um, game plan slash timeline after the event. So, you know, maybe they don't hear back from you guys. Um, what should they do to reach out? Um, and then, you know, what do they do going forward? Um, how do they know if you guys are interested and, and all that good stuff? Jamie. Yeah, again, we're going through it now. So some recruits have reached out now. Again, just be a little patient because, again, we, we've, like this weekend, we were out at the field from 8 a.m. till 
10 p.m. because of the weather and the schedule that they ended up changing. So again, long days, traveling back. Um, so just be patient with kind of the correspondence from the coaches. Um, you know, sometimes it, we may need to see the player again. Again, I'm, I'll be transparent with them. Again, that's the information I'll give them. If it's a player that I don't think maybe could play here, you know, I'll be like, you may want to look at a different direction kind of thing um, and just be upfront with them. Um, I try to correspond. If somebody emails me, I try to respond back to them just because, again, that's their time that they've given to me. So I feel like that's the right thing to do. And again, if it's a kid that we really want, fantastic. If it's a kid that, you know, maybe not as high on our list, you know, I kind of let them know that too. Um, Or if it's a kid that we need to see play again, that's kind of the information I'll give them as well. So again, I, I try to be as honest and transparent as I can, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I think that's correct. I mean, there's not much to add to that. I mean, it is, I, I try to reach out to, you know, all of everyone that reaches out to us or, you know, the kids that will reach out and ask like for feedback or where we find them, you know, where do they, where do we see them fitting in our program? We always try to reach out. And I do think there's that being patient part. And I, I'm always okay with a follow-up if I haven't responded to a kid, you know, just like following up and just saying like, Hey, per my pre, you know, previous email, just, just wondering where I fit. Right. And I do think that, you know, you just try to help them out and be transparent with them. Yeah. There are sometimes where we need to see players again, or two, three times before we can give them that clear answer of where they fall, you know, within the program. So, um, and I think every program kind of goes about it differently with, you know, your top pool, middle pool, you know, pool of players that you're at. So, you know, the same way that the players are making their top, (laughs) their top as well. So I do think just having that communication, they can follow up for sure. Right. Um, And so, what class is, you know, so here we are in 2023 towards the end. Um, so what class are you kind of, have you wrapped up your 24s, Julianne, or are you um, still working on 24s or, um, you know, kind of just give us where you are status wise within that framework? 24s are done unless we'll have like a late ad. Um, and then um, 25s moving along. I can't gotcha. give away all my secrets, you know? I don't know who's listening. Well, no. <laughs> Jamie's listening right now. I know. We compete for no, we're, um, sure, yeah. Denver and Virginia. That's, that's, that's yeah. really competing there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but no, like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, moving moving along in 25s and, you know, yeah. making moves and offers and visits and, you know, uh, compiling all of our, you know, the 26s that we'll be, you know, looking to talk to on June 15th. Yeah. And the reason I ask that is because I get that question all the time. Like, you know, is it too late? Am I, am I, should I be worried? You know, like, um, where do I, if I, if a coach hasn't talked to me and I'm a 24, you know, Jamie, maybe you can talk about from a yeah. perspective, you know, what's late and what's not. And Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're looking for one more 24. Um, mm-hmm. It's just to fill the class out kind of thing. Um, but we we're starting to hit the 25s pretty hard right now. Um, yeah. So, and I think it just varies per program and, and 
school. Some some still need 24s. There's a school out there that you know will need 24s. Um, some may pretty be pretty far along in their 25s. Um, and that's just the nature of it and what your, what your university can provide, um, and offer. So again, we were kind of in this, I don't know, interesting place because we've heard division three. I think we're, uh, kind of more in the more accelerated end of things for, for the classes. Um, just because again, what we can offer as a university and a program. Um, so I think everybody's timeline is different. Um, you know, for us, a 24 that pops on the list, it may be really tight for you to get in. Um, but again, I'll let them know that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So usually I want to wrap my, you know, my, I would like to wrap my 25s up or be most basically done with that class come the end of summer of next year. So to kind of give you an idea of the timeline from there. Um, and then, you know, start with the, you know, getting more, uh, further along with the 26s that, that just sounds crazy to me, but <laughs> that's, it's what, it's that's about how fast it moves. And I mean, yeah, we're on a little bit of a different timeline. Like we'd like to be done with our 25s within the next couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, it is, like everyone is different and there's a lot of schools that are looking for, you know, 24s or, you know, like the transfer window plays a whole different role into things now as well. So, you know, there's still schools that are looking for 24s or, you know, um, and there's different timelines for schools at their 25s and stuff, you know? So um, I think it's, it's again about, you know, being able to kind of put yourself out there and see what's still available and, you know, what you can do. But I do think that there's still a lot of schools that are looking for, you know, a lot of different things. Right. As opposed to your counterpart, Jamie, um, your men's team counterpart who has no 24s yet. Yeah. He told me that today. <laughs> so, I was um, like, um, all right, man. <laughs> yeah. and it's just, I, I don't know. That's just the nature of the difference between yeah and the women's um which i don't know where this i don't know where this started it's always kind of been like this since i got involved uh, about 12 years ago so i i don't know yeah i think i think females know exactly what they want though it seems like they they have more of an idea of what they want they're they're much smarter yeah (laughs) no but it is true i mean that was one of the biggest differences you know being on the men's and women's side is like I mean, the woman's side recruiting moves so much faster and quicker than on the guy's side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I do, I, I do feel like I was at a different space too. And I mean, like being at CNU, like those kids that you're getting at U Chicago know earlier, they're going through, they, you know, going to do pre-read, they're, you know, going to early admit or early action and stuff like that. So you do move a little bit quicker in those situations. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had uh, Phil Croft on, um, and he was saying he's already done with his 24s. So yeah. he's talking 25s now. So, yeah, yeah, the academics makes a huge difference. Um, you move differently in that way. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, when did the women's, you worked in the women's program too. I mean, when did that, was it even a year earlier or was it the same timeline as like Jamie's on now? Um, it's the same timeline that Jamie's on okay. now. Okay. Yeah. I would imagine the higher academic schools would be on a pretty similar timeline that we were on. Yeah. I mean, we tried to be done with everything 
by the end of their school year, right before the summer, if not picking up. I mean, most of your class was done and then you're kind of filling out the, um, the last spots in that. Yeah. Um, so where do we leave off? We are kind of communicating afterwards. Um, I'm just trying to think of all the steps that may happen, you know, uh, and so now, like, they've moved into meaningful communication with you guys. Um, you know, Jamie, you mentioned earlier, like, ask, this is the time to start asking tougher questions and getting, like, bringing things into focus that, you know, will help kind of, you know, paint a picture of what your experience will be like. Um, and so, Julian, what, like, in your mind, what's a good question that a kid who's, you know, sitting in your office now, um, a young woman, I shouldn't say kid. I mean, at this point they're, you know, so what, what are some of the things that kind of impress you as questions and what are some of the things that, you know, say, you know, you might want to ask a better question, um, kind of, kind of situation. Um, I mean, I think in general, like your coaching philosophy or that stuff, but like I had a, a player recently ask me, why do I coach and what do I love most about it? And I thought it was awesome. Like it, it's, um, you know, like asking your style of play or coaching philosophy and stuff. Like it's great, right? You want to know those things culturally and all that stuff. But like, you know, just to have them ask, like, why do you coach? And like, what do you love about it? What's the, your favorite thing about it? And I was like, whoa. So I came back for a time. I was like, I love this, you know? And it's, so I think too, like, I like to ask questions to get to know them, like about them. Like, what do you like to do for fun? Like, what does your family do for fun? Like, what do you like to do with your friend? Like, I don't know, just trying to ask, like, if you didn't play soccer, what other sport would you play? Or like, what would you like to be involved in just to like get to know them? So it was like a really great, great question um, to just kind of get to know me in a different way. And so I thought that that was like really cool and unique and it sparked conversation and, you know, it, it went somewhere. So I thought it was, it, it was cool outside of, you know, just the other questions. So I think too, just kind of like outside of the box or, you know, had a kid who was like, Oh, I saw you did an Ironman. Tell me about it. Like, what was your training? My dad did an Ironman. And like, so again, I think too, like those, that connection, like something where you see something about that person, that's like a connector topic that you guys can kind of like go off of, I think is also like really cool to kind of, get into because it just leads the conversation in a different way right jamie got anything yeah again there's out of the box questions um i always i always enjoy those too Mm -hmm. it's like oh that's a great question because you don't hear them that often somebody asked me like why do i coach at cnu what's so great about cnu perfect like sometimes again that gives you just an insight it's a different way to ask like what makes seeing you great kind of thing. And um, that leads me into so many different avenues because I'm, I'm from Newport News too. So again, my family's here. So there's a lot of ties that I have here that, you know, helps me want to keep this job kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, there's a handful of general questions that most of the recruits ask. Um, it's always good to get something different too out there just to maybe maybe about your personal life or something. Again, again, just be, again, the Iron Man thing. Like she probably saw that on Instagram or something and just was like, okay, what does that look like? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like you're, it's like the recruits opportunity to get to know you guys, but it's also 
like for them for you guys to really get to know them as people not not just as soccer players um so it's it's really good um and so like what would the factors be that you guys would advise players to look into you know when they're on campus um when they're doing their homework when they're hanging out with players um you know what what are some of the things that you would encourage them to look for um, when they're when they're in those situations julianne so when they're just on their visit like asking like I, yeah. I always try to have the kids like um the players take advantage of the opportunity that you have alone with the players like ask them mm-hmm. questions like what is it like to be a student athlete here you know, what are trainings like? What is the environment like? What is the culture like? What are the goals of the program, right? Like ask the players and, you know, like obviously ask the coaches that as well. But I think too, like you, you have an opportunity to be quote unquote alone with players on the team or potentially other student athletes if they're around, like ask them those questions, ask what it looks like to be a student athlete here. What are the resources? What do you love about being here? You know, what makes you happy about being here? Um, and so I think just really taking advantage of those uh, that, that time to ask even hard questions, right? Like ask some hard questions to them too. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's just good to kind of, you, you, you don't want to leave campus being like, oh, I wish I would have asked that. Like ask it, um, right. you know, and I think too, like, Picture yourself hanging out in this cafeteria. Like, can do you see yourself here on campus? Like, do you see yourself in the weight room? Do you see yourself on the field? Do you see yourself interacting with the team and stuff? So um, I think, too, like, you know, putting yourself out there to really interact with everyone to make the most of the visit. Jamie, anything else to add on to that? Yeah, just ask how the coaches are, too. Because yeah. <laughs> they're gonna, the players are going to give you the honest truth, you know. Like right. that's what I would suggest too, and encourage. I encourage the recruits to ask my players when they yeah. go hang out with them. Like, yeah, ask them about us. What is training like again? How do they, you know, communicate in training? You know, those kind of th- those kind of questions as well. If you had to choose between uh, watching a training session or watching a match, which one gives you a better indication of how the coach coaches? training yeah training for sure yeah and yeah. and like can you picture yourself being coached by that player or by that coach um yeah i, I mean sometimes in our visits we have them come watch training and stuff like that so they get get the inside of that too yeah because everyone has a different style right so <laughs> um what did i miss uh oh offer so you, you go through all this and uh you get that get that call that email um however it happens and you get an offer like how are you how do you make sure that it's something that you want to do um that it's something that you should accept i mean julian you talk about timelines um if you're not comfortable you know how do you advise a player to handle that and you know walk through that process yeah i um Again, like I want to make sure that the athlete wants to come here. Um, so, you know, really having those conversations. If I have to get to a spot where I'm going to have to make a timeline, having those conversations with them earlier and then 
touching base. So I'm not calling them on a Wednesday and telling them I need a decision on Friday. And they're like, what is this? So, you know, like, I think really trying to be open with them. And, you know, I, if I don't have a timeline, however, if I get to a point where I'm going to need to start, I'm, I will let you know in advance. I will have those conversations with you. What else do you need to know to help make your decision about DU? Um, is there anything that's, you know, a reservation about DU that I can help answer for you? You know, so really trying to, to, again, help them in that process because you want a player that wants to be here and wants to be a part of what you're building. Um, so I think that that's one of the biggest things is just trying to be as transparent as you can in that process. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to understand that we might have to get to this timeline and this is what it's going to look like. And, you know, I'm going to need to know in advance and I'll continue to communicate that with you. Gotcha. Jamie, you don't do this, but uh, it's kind of, the, it's kind of the same, like, but we, we don't, we don't have money. So that's a, that's a whole different ball game that again, I don't really have to navigate. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll give an offer again, Typically, when I offer a player, I know we're like in their top two. And it, we could, again, we've had those phone calls, had those visits, you know, seen them play a number of times. And they check kind of our boxes. We check their boxes kind of thing. So when I offer, again, usually a couple days before they kind of accept is kind of what you, typically happens. Um, just because, again, it's just the nature of how it all works out. Um, but the ones that don't take a couple days and then it starts to creep into weeks and whatever that looks like, then it's like, okay, what's going on? Like you tell me this. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get an offer and you're not ready or whatever. And so I, you know, we'll have phone calls and again, set that up and like, we still really like you. We really want you. I want you to take your time, but it may get to a point where I may need to put a deadline on this. Um, and then I asked those tough questions. So like, what, what's your reservation? Like, what is seeing you not offer that you're looking for? Or what can I help with to kind of, again, make you feel comfortable with this um, in this process? So I, again, I try not to put a deadline on it, but sometimes you kind of have to. Um, it's somebody might be dragging their feet or whatever. And then there's, again, I try, I'm open and with what that looks like with them um, through phone calls and things like that. Um, usually if somebody's, you know, taking their time, there's something else going on. Um, so then again, having those conversations of what's going on. Um, last thing, then I'll let you guys get out of here. Um, so you guys just finished up your seasons and I'm sure that you had players that, um, you know, they didn't get the time that they thought they deserved or, um, you know, things didn't pan out for them during the season that maybe to their expectation, I guess. And so talk about like dealing with that and then like the emotion that you guys feel around it as coaches. Um, I'm sure it's, it's not easy for you guys to say, sorry, you know, I'm not going to use you in the way that, um, maybe you expect, or, you know, there's some emotion attached to it for you guys as well. Um, so maybe just kind of talk about, you know, and this ties into, you know, you get the offer and then you come to school and, and, you know, 
having these expectations that you're going to set the world on fire and you know, maybe it doesn't quite go that way. And just, you know, from both sides, maybe talk about how to handle it. And, you know, you guys know that there's emotion for, for them, but there's for you as well. Um, does that make sense? Is there even a question in that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it is just a hard thing to navigate. Like we, bring these kids here because we want them to be successful. We want them to play. We want them to find joy and happiness and success. And we want them to continue to grow and develop and be the best that they can. And it's, it's, it's hard. I don't, I, I don't know if there is a question in that or how to navigate it. It's, it's hard. Um, you know, it's, um, it's a tough conversation regardless. Um, I have a tough time with it too, because, People told me I wasn't going to amount to anything. And it's like hard to have conversations with kids potentially that aren't playing. And it's like, um, you know, and I, it's, um, yeah, we, we bring them here because we want them to play and we want them to find success and we want them to do well. And so, you know, it's about helping them. Like how else can we help them so that they can find that success so that they can be happy with their their time, their experiences, what they're getting out of it and how they can grow and develop. Right. And so, um, and, and it's, it's hard. You have a, a big team, play 11 players, you know, so many different things can happen throughout a season, um, you know, and really just navigating all of that. And, you know, um, I don't really know. Jamie. Yeah. Got <laughs> it is tough. Again, you have this, this, this bond with, you know, a recruiter, what, and when they accept the offer, and they're now player. Um, you spent this time with them. You form these relationship with them. Um, but I think it comes back to, again, you know, being upfront and honest with them, and not sugarcoating anything. And you know, our philosophy here is the best player plays, no matter what year you are, um, and what's going to give this program the best chance to be successful. Um, and ingraining that in the team. So that way, you know, again, the championship mindset, competing every day is like number one. And if you're not willing to do that, you're already behind it, everybody. Um, so, you know, I, my door is always open. So if there's a player that isn't happy with what's going on, they can come have a seat in here and we'll talk about it. Um, I do appreciate when players come in and ask, you know, how can I get on the field rather than like, what am I like, you know, what, what do I need to like basically approaching it in like a way where they want to grow and be better rather than just saying, you're not playing me because of this. Um, so encouraging the players to do that. And again, being honest with them, if they're somebody's ahead of them, this is why they're ahead of you. And this is where you need to improve on, um, you know, some kids that, maybe not getting games. Are you doing the extra work outside of practice? You know, if you're not, then when your opportunity comes, are you going to be ready to like take it? And so that's, that's conversations we have with our players too, is again, it's a long season. It's, it's a really tight season too, because you play a lot of games. So somebody may pick up a knock or an injury where it alters what's happening. And if you're that next person in line and you haven't been, doing the work and you get caught upon and you're not ready that that puts us now in a tough situation where we may have to move somebody else who has been playing into a different position 
and that that's the nature sometimes and so again the way and i approach it is you know just honest and truth um and sometimes it's it's hard information because you do care for these kids for these players and you have to tell bad information or you know information they may not want to hear um to people you really care about but again that comes with having those relationships that way they know it's coming from a loving and caring place rather than just a one-way street i'm here to help again i want again them to have the best four years of their life so when they leave this program they're better people and you know they remember what it was like to be a part of you know a successful program and you know having those teammates for life um so that's kind of how i operate yeah i mean it's like a two-way street though like they have to be willing to you know, grow bit, people mm-hmm. you know and not just you know expect to show up so um cool uh guys have anything else did i leave anything on the table there that i should have asked i don't think so (laughs) all right cool uh thank you so much for coming on especially julianne um Jamie, I'm glad that you uh, got your technical things ironed out. Yeah, I, I just had to steal somebody else's computer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there, if there's a will, there's a way, right? You know, you exactly. Figure it out. You figured there it you out. Go. You got Practicing it. In what you preach. Good job. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on matchplayrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.